Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Well, I'm back again, and I'm very pleased to bring to you Mark Jones, OCR athlete extraordinaire, has been out there for the longest time. Uh, I want to call him an unsung hero. You don't hear a whole bunch about Mark, but boy, he's been out there from death race. He's uh, been part of the Wolfpack team that took down the world's toughest mutter. And I'm just very pleased to have him on the show with me. Mark, say hello to the audience. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me, Richard. Okay, truth be told, I screwed up the recording a little bit ago, and we'd already done about 30 minutes of this that didn't get taped. So I I apologize to the audience for not having had the opportunity for you to hear some of the cool stuff Mark said just a minute ago. Man, and that introduction in the beginning was so much better. Yeah. I know. It was pretty lame the second time, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's all good. All right, so we visited a couple. What did you call the, my place? Oh, yeah, so the uh, Death Trap in the Secret Underground Lair, I think I said. <laughs> and <laughs> I still love that. You know, that, that is the Death Trap. So the Death Trap, you, the death trap is what, what Hunter calls the baby bouncer. <laughs> you know, being in the... Uh, in the canopy, uh, in that harness, and it's it's under it's under pneumatic lift, right? It's got a bit of a lift to it, so you, you can bounce in it. He calls it his baby bouncer. Oh, I, you know what? One, he's a baby, and two, <laughs> my my nine month loves the bouncer that we have. Like he just he'll jump for hours, and it's so funny watching him. And like I could just see now, I'm seeing that connection, like little baby hunter in the bounce machine in the death layer. It's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, and he does cry a little bit when I put him in the baby bouncer. He's a crier. He is. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll never uh, admit it. No, you know what? I I feel you. Uh, I know. Hey. Him, I know him well enough to know. <laughs> hey, did you ever see the picture of us uh, in 2014, right at the end, sitting in the pit, and he was sitting, he was he was sleeping on my shoulder? Yeah, like a little baby. Yep. Yeah. I had to coddle him a little bit. I did see that. I did see it. <laughs> He needs a little attention now and then. Yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out with him. Uh, we're gonna get together on the 10th and make it down to the L.A. race together. So incidentally, uh, no, no. There's the uh, 
the LA Spartan race is on the 10th of December. Okay. All right. All right. And uh, I got, I got a hold of him and we, we talked about uh, showing up to, he's not going to race. So incidentally, those of you out there that are going to be at that race, if you see me and you'd like to say hello, please do. I, I, I'd be more than happy to meet you. But anyway, Mark, we were having this really cool conversation about opinions of the world's toughest mutter this past time around, and you gave some pretty interesting view of what you felt was or was not going on. And you said that you thought that the obstacles seemed to be easier this time around and that they were looking to give the money away. Yeah, I, I think with it, you know, it's it's all coming down to the, all right, we're going to get this thing on TV, or, you know, someone's paying out the big money, uh, and, and they want to see, everybody wants to see a winner, someone wants to uh, see the see the pod be taken home. Uh, would I say last year it was attainable? I believe so, but, uh, you know, again, they had the four-man team format, so it was definitely a little bit harder. So it would be interesting to see if they go back to four-man, knowing that two-man's been accomplished, and to see if a four-man is still uh, still in the running, or if they just change everything around uh, again. And, you know, it's kind of the beauty about that race. But, you know, uh, yeah, as, as far as the obstacles, uh, like we were talking about, the you know, for example, the King of Swingers just, self-sacrifice to the body to hit that bell after one swing. I mean, you're falling in the water regardless. So right there, you're looking at time. Regardless if you if you pass it or not, you're still hitting the drink and having to swim in the shore. So uh, compared to this year where you had the, the double rainbow, you made it across. It was just a couple seconds to get off the mat and, and you're going dry. So little things like, little examples like that, uh, just you know, tack on time throughout the 24 hours to just make the overall uh, the event, the overall event easier. So that was that's just my perspective. So I understand that the uh, the lease on the property that they were using for that event is over, and that's going to all be converted to condominiums or something, and that the course is going to be moved to someplace else. Have you heard anything about that? Yep, they were. Uh... So at the brunch that they had, the award ceremony, there had a lot of top secret, uh, you know, uh, statements that were said, videos that were played, and one of those that, that wasn't actually mentioned, but it was in the conversation through the athletes, was that it was being moved around. But there's a lot of speculation that it's gonna, they're still gonna have it there for one more year, and then then it'll move on. You know, uh, the, the the problem with that that I see is that when you establish a standard, you want to be able to compare your performance against that standard. Right. And so you know what's going to happen. Whatever the time is going to be or the distance is going to be traveled over the next race, if it's somewhere else, the argument's going to be whether it was a better performance than the previous performances, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I believe in the rule of three. I enjoy the book. Uh you know, they did New Jersey for three years, Vegas three. I mean, it's time to move on. There was there was also a lot of talk about it being uh, in, the, in Europe somewhere, which yeah. would be pretty cool. Well, that'd be cool for the Europeans. I mean, if you're committed to it, right? 
Well, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, the the average folk that want to get out to the event maybe can't afford to travel that far and can't take on the expenses. It might be a bit of a problem. But Europeans love this stuff, you know. They'll be all over that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that makes it kind of fun for those that can go over there because um, dealing with Europeans in competition is a whole other animal than dealing with uh, the Americans, right? Oh, yeah. You, would, you wouldn't even know who to really look for right off the bat. I mean, well, aside from that, the, the, their approach to competition and training and everything is so much more diligent, I believe, than the way we train. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I always it's funny. I never I never say that I'm an OCR athlete. Uh, it's just it's not it's not really in my mindset to be that. But the the greatest OCR I've done uh, was in competition with the military. It's called CIOR. And that's a confederation of interrelated officer reserves. And what they do is they take all the branches of the military and whoever has the, cha- the opportunity to go and you compete. And we, 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 uh, we, we went out for training or for tryouts uh, in Vermont and they have a standardized course. I'm sure you've seen it. You, a lot of guys are in like jump shoots, uh, going up 15 meter ladders and it's flying off them. And it's just a really quick race about 500 meters, uh, I want to say 28 obstacles, I believe. Uh, I think I did see that. But like I said, it's standardized uh, throughout Europe. And anyway, you go go to Vermont, you try out. uh, I had the opportunity to get selected. We went to Denmark in 2012. And, uh, you know, we're just a novice team. Used to be big in the U.S., but they've just been eliminating all our courses. So we just have Texas and Vermont left. But in Europe, I mean, you they go into the military just to train in, in this pentathlon all year round. And, you know, the pentathlon is a uh, pistol rifle shoot of the hosting nation. They can put on scopes. They can put on different handles, however they want it. And you don't know until you get there. Uh, they have the land obstacle course, like I said, is standardized. Uh, water obstacle course, same thing. And then you have the orienteering course, which is absolutely amazing uh so so with that i don't know am i running off into no, this a no, little no, bit no, I, I like it I this like is it. this is like one of the greatest things i've ever done in my life wow. uh but so we were a team of three we <laughs> we got blindfolded they threw us in a room and gave us our mission brief uh after the blindfolds were taken off went outside had a little chunk of a map and just went and uh, throughout about it was about five hours of just like hardcore go 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 uh orienteering but we ended up paddling during that uh, jumping on a mountain bike and just and just running our asses off the entire time and it was kind of funny we we took home the gold because uh germany who's who's beating us the entire time their their land nav guy their uh went the wrong way when they were on mountain bikes so they went like an hour out of the way and then turned around but our guy was solid and on point and we were just going and throughout three days of competition the whole pentathlon it came down to one bullet uh in points that that we won by so wow wow you know i uh, on that on that note i had a conversation with uh bracken and I think it was, I'm trying to remember what race it was, but he leaked out that some dignitaries from the Olympic Committee had come to kind of 
by invitation to review one of the OCR events. I think it was one of the NBC events. And they introduced the idea of a pistol in concept of what might be if it made it to the Olympics. For whatever reason, they felt they wanted to include some shooting. And I think that's kind of interesting, you know. I I think I'm kind of a grunt at heart, so I I, kind of like to shoot. But um, (laughs) any thoughts on that? Do you you think that would make things interesting? I I mean – you know, where I, where I was coming from in Vermont, there was always the talk of uh, making this an Olympic sport. And, you know, in the back of my head, I always say, like, it, it's basically been there. I mean, we represented the U.S. in, in a foreign country competing with NATO forces. Um, and then you look at biathlon. I mean, it's not an obstacle race, but you do have the shooting and a heart-pounding event that just goes on and on and on. And, I mean, right there, you combine... To, to those two events, the pentathlon um, and, and the biathlon, and you might have something in the making, for right. sure. Uh, the only thing comparable, I guess you would say right now, I, I know they've tried paintball, uh, but the spear throw seems to be pretty consistent as far as, like, or uh, it, it still exists, you know, it's, it's making way above all, uh, but it, it's just, it's not consistent, right? So, you have you have a hay bale that you're throwing into. You're not having a round hitting paper or a target being knocked over. So, uh, I don't know. And, and then you have the activists that will just never want to shoot a weapon. So does it does it hurt or does it help? I don't I don't know. Do you remember um, my first kind of exposure to obstacle course racing from from a distance? Uh, they and I don't even know which which company it was producing it, but they had these guys that would meet you before the fire pit or the finish line with these pugil sticks. Oh, yeah. And yep. try, to ro- try to rock you <laughs> before you yeah. finish the line. I thought that was, that was pretty amazing, you know. Right. And going back to, to my military experience, I remember being the platoon champion with a pugil stick and having to fight against the other platoon champions. <laughs> and I love that stuff, man. Yeah. I don't know what it was, something primal about, you know, just kind of whacking each other with that big Q-tip. Right. Uh, but uh, I got into a brawl with this this big black fella. And, I, I mean, he was scary looking. I mean, he was just a big, big dude. And to be honest, I was pretty fearful of the guy when we got into this, this little tussle. And, you know, the uh, the platoon sergeants were, like, making bets, you know, Right, and yeah. I remember they got us fronting, fronting each other, and they said, to, "All right, you know, so so and so is going to do this, and you're going to do that, whatever." And and this this guy says to me, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, where do you want the flowers? And I said, I said, you mean I got to kill you and then provide the flowers? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> and and it, then it was on, man. It was lit up, and and. Um, I don't know. He took a swipe at me with his pugil stick. I ducked it, and I caught him up under the chin. You know, we're wearing helmets, right? Right. And I caught him up under the chin, and the the guard got up under his nose, and it just messed him all up. He couldn't see, and and he had that thing stuck up in his nose. And I I proceeded to pound him to death with this thing. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know how I got off on this topic, but you're talking Wait. about the um, the pistol thing, and, and I, I don't know for whatever it's worth. But. No, no, no. You're you're talking about how back in the day they would have the the gladiators there ready to rock your world, and you know if you're the first guy, you're getting the worst of it. So right. I mean, you're you right there. You just flash back to to the worst of it that could have happened, and are you, now I, I I think you said the chin strap. Did you say the chin strap? Well, was no, there was like a, there's like a, it was like, it was like a standard football helmet, right? And you yeah, know you yeah. got that little that little railing. On the front of uh, the, in front of your your teeth, yeah, yeah. We had a mouthpiece in too, but the that thing caught up on his nose because his helmet slid back up on his head. I caught him perfect, and that thing got a hold of his nose, and and then um, he couldn't see, and, he, and his nose was jacked up, and he had this, thing, you know, it just was ugly for him. But while I had him at that disadvantage, I started to pound on him, and uh, they had to pull us apart, but. Ever since that way, way back in the day, when I it, I had a flashback when I saw these guys doing that pugil stick thing at the end of this event, and and if there was ever a time that I wanted to do that race, it was when I saw that they had those pugil sticks at the end. Yeah. That would have been the icing on the cake for me. I'm like, okay, now we're going to bring it on right here, man. <laughs> Truth be told, I've never done one of these events and probably never will. So I guess I'm just kind of living vicariously at this point in time. So talk to me about these events that you have shouldered up with. I know you're going to do something with CISO. You're you're basically a host or a greeter, or what, what's the deal with that? Yeah, so uh, they have me labeled as director of athlete morale. All right, uh, there you go. Call that a greeter, I guess, right? <laughs> I'm not really sure of of what my role is. Uh, maybe I do, but. It's gonna be, you know, the, the whole the whole point is to give everybody an experience. I'm not the guy that's gonna be screaming at you or anything like that. I just, I'm more if if you know, people that really do know me know that I'm a mental athlete. I, I love to like when I when we're gonna host our events, events I've hosted in the past. You know, of course you're gonna have your physical abilities, but I'm gonna make you think about everything you do before you go out and do it, because I like smart athletes. I don't like somebody that you give them a task and purpose and they just go running into the woods blindly. I like somebody to just take a second, think about it. Maybe even ask a question like, Hey Mark, can I do it this way? You know, just, I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and that's exactly how, how I've performed in my races. I, I like to take a second step back, think about it and, and then react, uh, not just go blind into the woods. So, uh, you know, if any, any of those guys are listening, that will be at that event, you know, that's that's what I'll be looking for. I've got a couple of clients that are going to be there. Okay. Uh, and they're really looking forward to it. I understand it to be a, a pretty a pretty big challenge for, for most. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been asked to do it for years, and I just, I the timing never works, of course, with, you know, still being in the military, and it's like always that weekend. It's even hard to plan out my own races. That's why... I don't really put myself out there, and I'm not really the best. I just it's whenever I have the opportunity to to get out there, I'll do it. So it's really hard to plan. <laughs> it's hard to plan. You know, it's it's really hard to plan races like some of the you know, like Atkins. He can plan his whole schedule for two years because he's that's what he has. He's fully committed to it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, now I have, I have a son, I'm in Toronto, I'm still in the military. It's, it's hard to do that. So. Well, it seems to be that there's an advantage to being a Canadian in OCR these days. It's in the water, honestly. I'm, I'm telling you, like I'm, I'm getting stronger and getting bigger. Uh, my speed is maintaining, so it's, it's something in the water. Yeah, I know Austin Azar did a tremendous job at that last event. He came over with Hunter a while back, a couple of weeks before the uh, the race, and this is when they were still planning on on being a team. And I, I made him dinner, and we sat down with a couple bottles of wine, and we started, you know, formulating ideas on how best to prepare for this event. And I liked him, a good guy, and I was really pleased to see him do well at uh, WTM. Yeah, Austin is, he's not only uh, an incredible athlete who's really made, us, or really, uh, really performed well this year. I mean, he's just the guy I would have recommended for Hunter anyway, because, you know, we, the Wolfpack had this, we had, uh, you know, conference calls and it was like, all right, guys, four man team, let's do this. Then they made it two man. So it was like, all right, Miguel and Hunter and then Dennis and myself, uh, and then Hunter had his, his other guy come in and then leave. And, and I had, you know, Dennis come in and leave. Uh, so it was that, it was that dead space of, are Hunter and I going to be teammates? Or are we not? And I just prepped and, and just said to myself, because Battle Frog 24 already happened. And that's when I really met Austin and saw him perform. And I was just like, you know, if Hunter asked me, I'm just going to say go with Austin. I think he's better suited for Hunter. So yeah. it's kind of funny how they came together anyway without me even saying that. Yeah. But. So that conversation between the two of you never came up? No. Uh, it was always in the back of my head. I mean, after the fact that, you know, Austin and Hunter um, announced they were a team, it, it, it came up, uh, of course. But, like, I, I, was, I told Hunter, hey, I was going to recommend him anyway. So it's kind of funny how it worked. Well, I recommended a couple guys to Hunter, and we were, I ain't going to lie to you, we were, we were fetching for a bit there trying to find somebody. Right. And, you know, the problem in it, is that it's not just finding somebody, it's finding somebody that you potentially can win with, right? Right. Hunter wasn't in there for the mud. He was in there to try to win. We were looking for somebody capable of holding up their end. And yeah. I recommended Nick Holland to him, and, and that didn't shake out. And turns out that's probably for the best. What I really thought was a good pick and seemed to be falling into place for a while anyway was Travis Macy. Right. Yep. Do, you, do you know Travis? Yeah, we we had that conversation. Travis came down to Vermont. Uh, I've read his book, so yeah, I, I don't I don't know him on a personal level, but I, I knew that he was going to be the guy. Well, he's quite an athlete. Yeah, yeah, he's, very he's accomplished. Kind of a sleeper too, you know. Yeah. If if you ever met him face to face, you would have never in a million years believed that he was capable of doing the things he's done. He just right. doesn't look like he could do it. Uh, honestly, and, and I like him. You know, we're friends, and I, I like him. And, and I, I liked him for his mental fortitude. He's the kind of guy that if he if he shoulders the the thing with you, he's going to pull his end. And and that's really kind of what I was looking for. And I thought that that was something that Hunter would gravitate very readily. Uh, right. And but then he felt that he was overtrained. He had some other events on the horizon, and just. Like Hunter, he was in it to win it, and if he didn't feel like he had a shot at winning it, there's no sense in putting himself through it. 
So right. I think he bailed. Uh, well, I know he bailed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I and, and I never knew the backstory, and to me it was irrelevant. I was shocked because, you know, I, you read his book, and it's like that whole determination, that mindset. And you're, like you said, it's just some of the things he's done is just incredible. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was – like I said, it didn't matter why why it didn't happen. Uh, it was just it was the shock value. Yeah. Well, that's over. And yep. We're on to 2017. So when is the uh, Sisu? That is in let's see, April, end of April. Talk to me about this other thing you got going on. I know you've shouldered up with Andy Weinberg, and you guys have something going on. Right. Uh, and also Joe Decker. So okay, start yeah. with Andy and Endurance Society. Uh, so Andy years ago asked me to be, uh, to come, to come to Vermont and I, w- I went there, I lived there, did the whole thing. And I always wanted to be part of the team and, uh, just create amazing events with him. So after, after a few years, um, you know, obviously I'm in Canada now and I just threw out the idea, Hey, let's, let's get some events up here. And I working with a guy that's out West. Uh, he's Canadian as well. His name's Dallas, uh, and we're we're gonna put on the best events that we can here and uh, bring something new to Canada. So, huh. so uh, are we talking about trail runs? We talk. What are we talking about? Yeah. So so we're starting with the trail series called Dark Rainbow, and Dark Rainbow is a a race that you're not you're not allowed to bring a GPS or watch of any sort. No technology. It's kind of a back-to-the-roots, free run. Uh, you get to choose your direction. Of course, you know, trails are going to be labeled and everything. You don't have to orient here. Uh, but you're going to pick a route, and that route could be 1K, it could be 10K, it could be 20K, who knows. Uh, it could be 1K of maybe you're just river swimming. I don't know. Um, or it could be an easy just track 1K. But... The point is that nobody's going to know their distance that they're going to cover. They're not going to know what the routes can consist of. There's only a few people that know the routes and their distances, and they're just going to keep cycling through, picking their routes, and the only clock that will exist will be will be the race clock. So if they're smart, they'll they'll time their loops based off that system that is available. And and the goal is to really just communicate with other athletes. I we have. We have 16 hours, 12 hours, 8 hours, 4 hours, and we just want all the athletes to talk about it. Like, hey, how was that red route? How was route 2? How was route 3? And and they're talking and just really communicating. And and I just, we think it's going to be a fun event. Uh, they will they will receive milestones. So a uh, half marathon all the way up, and hopefully we see a 100-miler. Uh, they will be They will be receiving when they come in, like, here's your half marathon milestone, and That'll kind of give them a sense of, of distance as well. But besides that, it's pretty unknown. Sounds pretty interesting. I did a, a show recently with a fellow by the name of Eric. Uh, his last name escapes me at the moment. He's a part of this business called One Eye Open Productions, and they they basically head up this adventure racing series. Uh, and uh, You've done some adventure racing yourself, haven't you? Um, like I said, uh, just officially in, in that orienteering world uh, just with that pentathlon. Okay. Well, these guys uh, put on this adventure racing world series, 
As a matter of fact, the World Series championships just went off in Australia. And these events, I mean, I'm sure you remember the Raid Galloways, I guess it's called, and, and the Echo Challenges. Oh, yeah. These yeah. guys come from that. And we had this conversation and, and did a show around it about these events that they put on, which are essentially upwards of six-day events. And same same type of format, no GPS. You don't really know what's coming until you get there and, and they have the orientation and they start preparing you for it. you got checkpoints you got to make by a particular timeline. And you cover literally hundreds of miles of, of terrain, rappelling, horseback riding, mountain bike riding. They just throw whatever at you and, and the idea is, First guys to the finish line win, and it's a team effort as well. You gotta, you gotta have four people on your team. If it's going to be a male-dominated team, there has to be at least one female, so three to one. Right. If it's a female team, it's same ratio, three to one, female to male. Yep. And uh, I thought that's pretty fascinating. I think I think the direction that this endurance sport is going in is lending itself very nicely to that type of format. Right. Things like you're talking about doing, I think that's very timely right now. I think that people are looking for more. And I, and I honestly believe, I think that people are getting a little fed up with the commercialism of some of these obstacle course racing events. Uh, are you feeling me there? I, I hope so, because the thing that really brought shock value to me this year was doing this uh, race called the Texas Water Safari. And that was a 260-mile paddle race in... Uh, in Texas, I mean, it was uh, this guy Joe. De- Do you know who Joe Decker is? Yeah, yeah, I've met Joe. We, well, we've communicated, and actually, he was going to host one of my events a while back. Him and uh, Nicodemus Holland were yep. kind of working together, and uh, it just didn't work out, so we never got around to doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be working with him with some events this year as well. But wow, like him and I went through some crazy shit during that race. That was incredible. I uh, have some friends that did that uh, event um, a couple years in a row, and I think they won it one year. Um, it's a pretty, it's 260 miles, and first one that finishes wins, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. But it's very, you know, and I don't have to drift off to it, but it's pretty humbling. And it's a great way to finish, too, because, I mean, you're in the golf and you just you come out and, you know, if you feel drained, it doesn't matter because you have to give more than you have the entire race to, to get to the finish line. Right. So anyway, but, yeah, we're talking about being, like, commercialized and everything. And, and then, you know, like, that's a race that you go back into. It's, like, one of the oldest races around and just an, an amazing experience. So and, and that's. And, and that's kind of the sense of, that we want to that we want to get to. You know, it's uh, it, it's cool to have you know five six day races and Eco Challenge, Primal Quest, and all these great adventure races. I mean, they that's what really got me hooked on onto pushing my body to the limits. Um, but the problem is, it's just you, you need to develop those skill sets, which costs a lot of time and money. Then you need to have the travel costs with your bike and, and everything else like that. And, you know, you're talking about six days out in the wilderness, finding the team. Uh, it's really hard. It, it's just it's 
something I just haven't even been able to do as much as I want to do it. So then I think that's, that sparked the development of some of these, you know, two, three day races so that it's, it's a little more feasible for people. Uh, and, and the, what we're having right now with the dark rainbow, that's kind of, we're making these stepping stones. We want to have a tier based system. So somebody is going to just step into the unknown you know, a step beyond just the standard trail race that they're familiar with. So, you know, and it's, it'll just keep building off that. You know, we could later in the year, maybe in a couple of years, we have a race called the Excursion that's kind of uh, going to be a stepping stone or maybe two stepping stones up from this. So, I mean, it's coming. Yeah, well, i got to tell you, the, uh, the cost of these adventure races gets upwards around $10,000 per team. Easily. Yeah, to get involved. I mean, forget about whether you're paying for your, your kit, you know, the, all the equipment you're supposed to bring to the table, but it gets expensive really quickly. But going back to your uh, your Texas uh, River adventure, uh, I literally have a couple of clients, and it's been a long time ago now that I've spoken to them, but they were real. it was a husband-wife team. And try to imagine that. Can you imagine being in that, that canoe with your wife for 260 miles? Did they happen to be on the video for the actual race? I didn't see the video. Okay. But there was there was one I watched before. It was like a YouTube, and they were documenting the whole journey. And yeah, I, I couldn't imagine because Joe's like one of my best friends, and him and I almost killed each other. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I used to own health clubs, and the the couple that was doing these races were members of my health club, and the wife in particular used to take my spinning classes when I taught them. And we had these conversations about her preparing for that event. We talked about post-event, the trials and tribulations they went through as a couple to get down that river. I mean, you literally want to kill each other. It's like, you're sleeping again, damn it, I'm, tra- I'm doing all the work here, you know. And having to hang your ass over the side of the canoe when you got to take a dump, and there's, there's just no stopping, right? That's funny, because there, I was up front, Joe was in the back, and there would be times where, you know, of course, I was just joking with him. I'd turn around real quick, and he wasn't paddling. And I'd say, I knew I was paddling harder. Like, freaking paddle. What are you doing? You sleeping back there? Yeah. But, you know, when, when you start saying that stuff in the middle of the night, even with a smile after, you know, 50 hours, you take it a little personal, and, and that's when the sparks start flying. Yeah. So, Yeah, that's what that's all about. That's a whole other level of competition when you get into that situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 260 miles, how long did it take you? Uh, it was 56 hours, I believe. How much sleep did you get? I slept for about 20 minutes. Joe was about an hour. and Or maybe that, an hour and a half. You're not sure, right? Yeah, who knows? It could have been 49 hours. I don't know. Yeah, that's probably why he wanted you in the front. He yeah. didn't want yeah. you to know you are sleeping. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, so those those events that you have slated for Canada, is there a website that people can get to and, and learn more about it? Yeah, they can go to uh, EnduranceSociety.org, uh, and you'll just go through events, and you'll see Dark Rainbow. All right. Dark Rainbow. Does, now, what what was the, you know, what brought you to the name? I mean, is it because you start the events at night, or what, what's going on with that? It's interesting. Uh, so... I, it's funny. I was actually talking with a, another another buddy of mine, and you know, we were just joking around about event names and like 
unicorn from hell, you know, just something that has a little bit of, you know, sugar and or uh, sweet and sour to it, you know, like those um, Sour Patch Kid commercials, like first they're sour, then they're sweet. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, you just, just want something that that was evil in a way, which this will be because it's just a battle within. Like, do I keep taking the same path? Do I branch off? Who knows what's down that road? And you know. But at the end of the day, it's it's a good thing, right? So uh, it, it began actually began with Black Rainbow, but then I, I figured that would spark a lot of controversy. So sure. uh, the, the Dark Rainbow just kind of stuck. And it's funny, I, I researched it on Urban Dictionary, and no shit, like the the definition is like a battle within. Oh really? So, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, it just. Destiny, I guess. That's going to be a trivia thing later on. People are going to want to know what that means, and I'll know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll have that at the uh, CSU yeah. or somewhere else. <laughs> All right, so i got a couple of, uh, of work-related questions for you. All um, right. Now, I've been told that you're a pretty stellar runner. Can you give me a sense of that? I mean, uh, first of all, what's your preferred distances and what kind of times you put down? Uh, I, I would say I'm, I'm probably above average. So hammering down, uh, when I was just more focused on road running, it was, uh, one seventeen half, uh, 255 marathons, the best I've done. That was, that was a bad day. Paced for more than that. I was, I was definitely capable of doing 240 that day, but, uh, did not do it. So it doesn't count. Uh, so, you know, you branch off because those things don't work out because you're not Kenyan. And right. <laughs> you pursue other things. Exactly right. But, I mean. Uh, I did, the longest I've done consistently was 150 miles, and that was uh, 42 hours. Wow. Uh, I've done, and of course, you know, you get into ultras, the terrain is a factor and all that. So, of course. Uh, 606.50 miler. Uh, that's about it. Have you ever done anything technical? Have you got a VO2 done, anything like that? I have long ago, and I have the paperwork somewhere, and I would I would read it in numbers if I knew exactly where it was. It does, doesn't matter anymore. Probably not. It's history. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just curious to know whether you actually were a student of the art or whether you just go out there and run because it feels good to you. No, uh, I, I like to – well, all right, so, you know, we're we're both military guys, and – you get out, I was out for two years and, you know, you kind of go through that, that stage of what do I do? What do I do? And there's so many, it's like the world is just hitting you for the first time all over again. And that, I don't want to say I was depressed, but that, that state comes into play and you're like, what do I do? So, um, I started with drinking a lot and eating a lot. So I got up to 220 Wow. and I was just really, big guy not really doing much and you know long story short uh just started running by by chance because a flyer came to my doorstep and i was like what's well, a half marathon let's go jump into this and i did it and i kept wanting more and more and more and uh here i am today wow cool and um so you've never done in the course of your training were you anything heart rate driven or was it just you run by pace or feel? 
No, I, I just do a lot of you know reading, studying, and, and going by feel. Uh, and maybe that's my downfall because I've never, knock on wood, never been injured. Um, but maybe it's also because I haven't I haven't pushed that limit that that I'm probably capable of. I have, I'm more of a safe runner, and I think that's why I like the long stuff because I'm at a, at a safe, comfortable pace the entire time. How old are you now, Mark? 34, and I'm getting old. Yeah, you told so. me that earlier, yeah. Well, 34 is actually prime for endurance athletes. That's pretty much where you need to be. 34 to 36 years old seems to be the window. Um, because there's a tenacious capacity at that age group that you don't find in the younger athletes, and you start to lose as you get older. And I mean, I'm, a, I'm double your age. It's funny you say that you started drinking, gained all this weight, and then decided to start running. Well, I, I I was running for a long time, then just started to start drinking. <laughs> I just thought, man, this run is killing me. I think I'm going to start drinking. There you go. But, it's a painkiller. <laughs> yeah, but 2017, I'm going to try to reverse the trend. I'm going to see if I can get myself back in shape, even though it would seem that that ship has sailed. I, I'm going to try to embark upon another journey and see if I can resurrect this old self into some. You know, i got good bones and I got a good heart, uh, and I'm pretty tenacious and pretty tough. I've I've done a bunch of triathlon in my day. I've done a lot of running as well. It just I got to a place with it where like because it's my business. It's like if you worked at McDonald's, you'd never want to eat a hamburger, right? Uh, well, I would hope so. <laughs> but um, in my in my field of work, because I am entrenched in in athletic performance and have been going on 30 years now, um, I just, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to take a break from it all physically myself. But my body's now telling me that that was a bad idea. So for whatever it's worth, I, I need to get back on track and and, and uh, get a couple more miles out of this physique. Yeah, but you never know. I mean, maybe you're... you're self-sacrifice in a way, right, has given so much more to all the incredible athletes that come to your doorstep in the death layer. I mean, what happens What happens if you if you get, you know, you do that reverse cycle and are you going to sacrifice time for the athletes then? That's a really good question because I've always felt that, well, first of all, you know as an athlete that being an athlete is a very selfish endeavor. Absolutely. It takes a tremendous amount of selfishness in order for you to perform at the level that you hope to perform at. And I've always believed, and i got a couple of friends that aren't going to appreciate me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's how I roll. I don't think you can be an athlete and be a good coach at the same time because you're too, self, you're so, too self-ingrained. You're too busy thinking about your own business. Your training is always going to take the limelight if you're really dedicated to task, it's gonna it's gonna come out that way. Where right. I I'm a voyeur. I I spend my entire existence looking at other people perform, analyzing the way they perform, helping them to perform better. And you're probably right. Uh, the the more time I dedicate to myself, the less time I'm able to dedicate to others. And maybe it's not such a great idea. I I completely agree. Uh, I. I almost want to say, and I'm just thinking along my lines, like people ask me for, and I'm I'm talking to like in my immediate circle, like my wife, 
my wife's friends, you know, it took me a couple weeks just to get to their programming for a couple, you know, for maybe like a month or two. And I just look at it as like, it'd be so easy when I was trying to design this. It's so easy to just say, all right, well, take my workout and then I'll alter, alter it a little bit. And it's basically like, that's, that's the lazy method of doing it. Right. So I'm not going to say coaches do this, but I feel like if I had a big clientele at some point, I'm going to just alter my workouts for myself to cater to them and they'll never know about it unless I announce it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's tough for me. I, I write programs individually week to week, day to day. Right. Before our conversation today, I was on the phone with one of my clients and over the course of conversation, I am customizing program over the next few weeks, and I never go beyond a couple weeks at a stretch ever with them. There's no preordained process because I'm a student of the metrics. I look at the detail that's coming out of their body and make decisions about what's going to happen tomorrow relative to what happened today. Right. And you cannot... At least so far, I've not figured out a way to effectively conduct that business with more than just a large handful of people without it absolutely consuming your entire existence. Uh, right. I have about 24 clients right now that I, that I coach virtually, and I don't know that I can do much more than that. The only way, I, it seems to be that I, I'll have somebody fall out and I plug somebody in, somebody falls out, I plug somebody in. But it seems to stick around, around like, you know, topped off at like 25 athletes. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know how uh, to write program for people six months in advance. I, I just don't, I don't think it's even ethical to, to do that. No, there's no way. I mean, if, if it was me, not just like doing it as a, a personal favor for somebody, I would do day by day. Right. And and like we were talking about, you know, if you can't you're saying you can't fit anybody else in, but now like all right, you need a couple couple hours to yourself per day. You know, do you do you now knock it down to 23 athletes? <laughs> and that's that's the balance, right? It's like do you do you go all in and that's my business or do you try to, you can't you're you're exactly right. You can't do both and be great at both. Well, you know, to, to even kick that dog a little little harder, um, traditionally Saturday mornings are the long workout days for us. Yep. And I have a, a local group of folks that train with me, and we go out and, you know, I decide what we're doing whatever Saturday morning, but we always go out. And it's generally in excess of a couple hours worth of exercise. And because a lot of my clients that come to physically visit me at the death layer that you're <laughs> they travel you know they're coming in from other parts of the country and they're it's a pilgrimage i mean they're flying into lax they're getting a car they're renting a room and i'll see them early on saturday so i've sacrificed my saturdays for pretty much this entire year and when you look at it over the course of time that represents for me a couple thousand calories a week that I didn't get a chance to expend. And I haven't altered my eating habits. 
<laughs> right? So so I, I may as well have been eating 2,000 calories more uh, opposed to the 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 lack of caloric expense that I would have had had I had that workout, and right. and now it's getting to the point where I'm also giving up Sunday. You Sunday used to be my bike ride. You know, I have a friend and we go out. We were Tuesdays and Thursdays was the the road bike ride, and we would go out for 40 and 60 or 60, 70, 80 depending uh, where we are fitness wise come come Sunday, and I haven't been able to do that either. So. Um, I've probably given up about three to four thousand calories a week from from my my fitness, and haven't altered my eating at all. So there there goes there goes the fitness, right? Yeah, yeah. But it but got to got to feed you know the babies, what? right? Yeah, feed the babies and enjoy life. I mean, if if that's the sacrifice you're willing to take, and it sounds like that that's the path, and you're happy, then then who cares, I guess, right? Well, you I mean, know, the, the good news for me is that I love what I do. You, and that's it. Like, every video I've seen, you're just, you're always sounding happy. And I, I really want, I told Miguel I wanted to meet you in Vermont. And uh, I just, it didn't work out for me. I wasn't, I was a week early, I, uh, a week late uh, than when you guys were there. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, at some point, yeah. I, I just... Here. I will. I will. I'll be out there. Uh, I'll be in L.A. in March. Yeah, got to get in the baby bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> that thing will toss we'll, me like no other. Yeah, we'll bring. Uh, we'll bring. Bring your boy out here, and we'll we'll make a day of it. All right. You know, we you guys can swap out the baby baby bouncer workout. <laughs> yeah, but I, I honestly, I I I'm very fortunate in that. Um, and I tell people this all the time. If I was independently wealthy, I wouldn't charge for what I do. I'd just be a little more selective of who I do it with. Right. Um, because I, I, I have the perfect job. I do exactly what I want to do. And I can't imagine doing anything else. Now that I'm so vested in my process, I've learned a, a ton. I mean, I've just learned so much over all the experiences that I've had a chance to, to garner from all the different athletes I work with. And the diagnostics really is pretty fascinating too, because when I get somebody, if you, for example, Mark, let's say we never had this this hour long conversation, and you came to see me and you wanted some help, you could sit down there and try to explain to me who you are and where you've been, and what you think you're capable of or what you've been incapable of, and we could have that conversation, and I could set about trying to help you, but with the ability to to do these diagnostics. In 15 minutes, I know who you are, right? and I know how best to advise you. And that, for me, has never grown old. That has never grown old. I mean, I'm fascinated with that test every day I do it. This morning, for example, before I got on this call with you, I had a client that I've been working with who's doing a marathon this Sunday, female client. And I tested her six months ago. Wrote her program for week to week, day to day, followed her process, worked with her at the track, and she is going to crush that marathon. And we did a VO2 just to kind of double check to see where her, her limits are. Her VO2 score was up 11 points. Her threshold was up 11, 11 beats per minute. And, and that was just like an aha moment. And so the joke was, I said, she's trying to qualify for Boston. 
and she never thought she would even be talking about qualifying for Boston before we had this conversation. And I told her that if she starts getting close to that qualifying time, she better slow down because if she if she qualifies, I'm going to be sitting in the driveway with a little table waiting for her to bring me a very old bottle of scotch that's going to cost her a tremendous amount of money. <laughs> and so that's the joke now. She's she's fearful that she either is going to have to buy me a bottle of scotch or rain back so she doesn't break the limit. Uh, well, you know you know what's coming down the pipeline. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, man, I uh, I really enjoyed having the conversation with you. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to get together in Vermont because we had so much fun. Yeah, I saw you guys playing in the snow. Oh, uh, I'm telling you, we had a we had a marvelous time. And the uh, do you know uh, Patrick, the fellow Patrick. that runs the resort? Uh, he's with Killington Mountain School. I no, believe. no, no. He has. Oh. It's called the Cortina Inn. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Patrick, he's the manager of the Cortina Inn. He's an OCR guy, too. And what a great guy. What a great place to stay. What a wonderful host. Oh, yeah, I I know Patrick. Yeah, that place is awesome. Well, we just had such, I mean, he just opened the place up to us. Yep. It's like coming home, and we had so much fun together. And I I got to tell you, man, I really enjoy when I have those type of trips, when I get out and meet new people. We're doing what I like to do. They're doing what they like to do. And we're building on that common thread. Uh, Did the same thing in Dallas, Texas uh, a couple weeks back with Yancey and his boys. And so, yeah, I I guess never mind about my fitness. I'm just going to suck it up and take it. (laughs) Go ahead. Just have fun, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Enjoy life. Yeah. Well, look, again, uh, Mark, I'm I'm very pleased to have a chance to speak with you and looking forward to having a chance to meeting you in person, get you in the baby bouncer, and maybe even uh, get a chance to you know, get involved in one of your events somehow or another. Absolutely. I, I appreciate it, sir. That was, that was uh, definitely great talking to you. And like I said, I'll be out in uh, March, so it's, uh, it's definitely talk about getting up. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.